Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Brief confession here for a minute as we get ready to get started today, that when it comes to the way in which Georgia fans react to news, and Georgia fans being interested in news, obviously good for the business that we do around here, both at DogNation.com and on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management, it is just obvious that some news is bigger than others, and in recruiting, you have the perfect example of this, where any recruit in the current cycle is almost going to be viewed by most fans as bigger than any recruit from the following cycle. In other words, right now we're in the 2023 recruiting cycle. Those that sign their letters of intent come December, February will be a part of the 2023 class. And the following cycle after that's for 2024. And if I had to sort of describe the exchange rate, I think it probably goes like this, that a low four star in the 2023 cycle is probably bigger than a five star in the next cycle just because the way in which people have a tendency to devalue the future and overvalue the present you know people just have a tendency to kind of have a weird sort of you know value estimation what the future's worth and so therefore they don't get excited about something that's going to be a long time into the future now some folks would say this is with good reason because hey when it comes to a commit for the class of 2024 b that is a long time from now who's to say this young man even keeps that commit which is totally fair and totally understandable and all of this is a setup to say i hope you didn't miss the news that came george's way last night when nye a 2024 wide receiver from colco county announced that he was committing to the university of georgia he says on twitter i'd like to let the world know i'm committed to the university of georgia go dogs and he tags brian mcclennan the wide receivers coach kirby smart the uh, head coach there and a nice announcement from nye a 2024 wide receiver about joining georgia's class and yeah it does feel like a long time in the future and admittedly it seems like there's been a lot of recruiting news late lately where if the recruit wanted to work harder to make folks be less aware of his news i'm not quite so sure they could have done more of that a lot of announcements coming on the fourth of july folks are busy doing cookouts and things like that some of that kind of stuff slips through the cracks you know you make an announcement relatively late on a on a what is it tuesday night last night that has the tendency to kind of go in one ear and out the other for people who are kind of busy trying to get back to work after a holiday but the point of the show here today is to say i hope that you don't miss what car potentially brings to the table for UGA. Because first and foremost, in addition to everything else you're going to hear, this is the kind of wide receiver who has the recruiting credentials that Georgia, for the most part, has just kind of missed out on. You know, Carr, if you look at the 24-7 sports composite, this is a top 10 rated receiver nationally. This is a player rated somewhere in the 60s or so as a prospect overall, well within the top 100. It's the kind of receiver that, for the most part, you really haven't seen Georgia get very much. And so if you're trying to figure out why this matters, should you pay attention? For those reasons alone, I think that gives you a sense of how big this is, the fact that as a recruit, he's rated as highly as he is. And once again, there's a certain level of skepticism that creeps in on that. Well, I guess that just means that eventually an Ohio State or an Alabama may come calling for him and it'll prove difficult for, for Georgia to hold on to him. And maybe that's the case. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be an expert or 100% accurate when it comes to making predictions about who will and who won't stick with UGA. But 
if you look at what Carr has put out on his Instagram, and I'll invite you to check out Jeff's Intel story at dognation.com. You know, Jeff, you know, wrote a good bit about Carr last night. Good insight in, in him. It included some great quotes from his head coach there at Ococa County with the Packers and, you know, gave you some good insight on Carr. But one of the things that Jeff mentioned in his story at dognation.com about Nye is how much love he's been showing for George on his Instagram feed for such a long time, you know, calling it home and basically bragging about UGA well before he became a Georgia commit. And that's where I think this gets really, really cool is this is one of those things you don't really see necessarily all that much. It's the intersection of a player who brings the credentials that Georgia desperately needs, an elite level wide receiver, uh, coinciding also with a player from what is kind of very fertile soil for Georgia recruiting in that sort of South Georgia part of the state where that Georgia G really means a lot. All of a sudden, both those ideas intersect in the person of Nykar. And that's why I think this is really interesting. That car almost becomes the kind of player because he seems to, like a lot of folks in South Georgia, have a deep tie to UGA, deep love for Georgia, deep connection to Georgia. And he also brings the kind of wide receiver credentialing that Georgia has kind of really needed. And if you wanted a special recipe for how Georgia could figure out the recruiting of this position in a way that it kind of hasn't prior to this, to be able to do it with a guy who loves Georgia, who has those roots for Georgia, who kind of already thinks about it as being home, that's an example of that. In fact, let me kind of put a punctuation mark on this by giving you Kirby Smart in his own words for a moment. He has talked a lot over the years about the priority of recruiting kids in state. It would seem like in the last couple of cycles, Georgia's probably done that more recently than it maybe did in the early stages of Smart's time here as a UGA head coach that Georgia seemingly has kind of put a little bit more of a priority on keeping those dogs at home as we sometimes say or building that fence around the state and smart has been very open in the past about why that is including when he spoke to the general assembly this past winter on the heels of having won the national championship he showed up there to celebrate with some politicians about the uga championship but in the midst of kind of doing the typical sort of glad handing and back patting that you do in a uh, political setting like that he also mentioned just how important keeping the state strong is for his recruiting efforts and how he wants to make sure that he's able to go out there and get the kind of players that he needs from the state of Georgia. And oftentimes we think about this as running backs or linemen or whatever else. But in the case of Nykar, you're talking about that same idea for the kind of elite wide receiver that Georgia hasn't often gotten in recent years. So let Kirby Smart's words on the value of in-state recruiting kind of give you a little bit of an accentuation of why the the Nykar news is potentially as big as it is. This is Kirby in Atlanta under the Gold Dome going back to last winter. Great leadership makes for a great state. Uh, opportunity to do business in the state has grown every year thanks to the people in this room. So it attracts population. Population is good for football. The more I can recruit the state, the better off we're always going to be. So the better you make the state, the better off our football team. So I look at this as a team effort. So forget the fact that he's talking to politicians there. Uh, you know, if, if you follow politics at all, you probably dislike half the people in that room or, or roughly half the people in that room. So push aside for the moment that, that Smart's audience there is politicians. 
the stuff that he said just a couple of months ago is is a reminder of of why you want to be able to win these kinds of recruiting battles smart says hey the more the population of the state of georgia grows the more the the football programs in the state are going to grow there as well and he says the more i'm able to recruit this state the better it's going to be for my program we gotta have you know as long as we have really good high school programs really good youth programs these are all things that smart said a moment ago the better that is for us overall and if you look at the wide receiver situation sometimes that's been kind of the missing ingredient here right i mean think about guys that you know uh maybe georgia missed on you go back to a year ago with luther burden chose to stay home and go to missouri you know didn't have a deep enough tie to uga look at some of the receivers that georgia's won with you know george pickens out of alabama uh, you know you think about guys like marcus rosemey jackson and arian smith out of the state of florida you know oftentimes it seems like some of the big receive receiver battles that georgia's been a part of either the ones that it's won or maybe the ones that it's kind of finished second in these were guys that didn't necessarily have that deep tie to the state of georgia that's not the case with nicar he's been active on social media for a long time talking about his love for uga and it just so happens that he brings the kind of wide receiver credentials that georgia has desperately craved and certainly the fans themselves have desperately craved there too i mean the bottom line for me in all this is i've told you before that i think it's possible for uga to have breakout success with some of the less heralded recruits that it's brought into the program to play the wide receiver position. We've already seen some example of that with guys like A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey. We may see more of that in the future with guys from this past class like a Cole Spear or, or, or Dylan Bell. We may see breakout stars among the ranks of somewhat less heralded recruits. It's possible to do that. Other programs have done that before. Maybe Georgia can do that too. But it's obviously an easier path to travel when you take an elite recruit and turn him into a great player. That's just a path of less resistance. There's just a less friction involved with that. It's just an easier path to get there. But Georgia attracting those elite level receivers, for whatever reason, it's just not as been as easy for this to this program to do that compared to some of the recruiting success it's enjoyed with the other position groups. But Nicar stands as the outlier on that, at least for now an elite top 10 level receiver for the class of 2024 who chose the dogs last night this is good news even if you have to wait a while for it all come into to full fruition and, and play itself out it's still worth celebrating it happened late last night it's for a recruiting cycle still more than a year away but don't miss what nicar potentially brings to the dogs an in-state guy who brings a lot of talent with him and could eventually be the kind of proof of concept that causes other great receivers to want to come to Georgia as well. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start at 945 for our first and 15 on dognation.com, the uh, uh, Dog Nation app there as well. We're 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, so many different ways for you to find us there on video we're available as a podcast all across the various podcast platforms apple spotify everything else we post the show each and every day at the world famous dog nation.com on the radio at noon on app and sports radio 960 the ref and we're happy to have you there for the folks in the classic city made a little appearance with the morning show today as i do each and every wednesday morning so always fun for our partnership there with our friends on app and sports radio 960 the ref and speaking of partnerships all of this our ability to make this show available to you and on the platforms we do 
would not be possible without our friends from Breda Pest Management. And listen, I love what Breda Pest Management can do for you right now. The official pest control provider of UG Athletics can also step up and help you save money right now. Because let's face it, when it comes to your termite protection, when it comes to your pest control uh, provider, you may be getting those letters about that cost of service going up. That's really frustrating, especially at a time in which it seems like everything's getting more expensive. The last thing you need is for your termite protection to get more expensive. The last thing for you need is uh, for that you know that that cost to go up there. You want to put more money back in your pocket. That's what Breda Pass Management can do for you. When you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, they're going to be able to save you money instantly. And you can find out for yourself exactly how that is and exactly how much it can be by checking out the website, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A. BredaPest.com. Switch your pest control provider. Switch your termite service over to Breda Pest Management and make big savings in- instantly for uh, being able to do that. So check them out, BredaPest.com, for a lot more on that. The official pest control provider of UG Athletics, good friends of ours here around Dog Nation, and a great opportunity for you to put more money back in your pocket when you make the switch to Breda Pest for your termite protection, your, your pest control provider, everything else there at BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. All right, a couple of quick announcements here. And then we're going to roll on, do some around the doghouse, and bring on Mike Griffith here in a moment there, too. First of all, to those watching on video, I have been told by some of our commenters that my shirt does not look red today. This shirt is as Georgia red as it possibly can be. Our producer on site, Michael Carvel, confirming this for me. I don't know if our just our lights are off or, or, or the... Uh, well, I don't know what's off, but I've been told that on video, the shirt does not look red, but it could not be more red. This is a typical Georgia shirt like I wear each and every day. So have no fear there on that regard. Also, there's this, and this will lead us into Around the Doghouse. Tomorrow, I'm very, very excited about something. A lot of you have been asking, hey, BA, what's going on with that season opener? Where are you, where are you guys going to be downtown Atlanta uh, to kick off the 2022 season? Georgia's season as reigning national champs got to do something big to kick off the year it's such a big game to start the year with dan lanning the ducks coming into town well guess what i have been told over and over again to say nothing and reveal nothing about what dog nation gonna be doing that day but everything can be told tomorrow so if you've been a part of some of our dog nation events before uh, or you've wanted to be a part of one you've never been able to be close to Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management tomorrow for a big announcement about exactly what's going to be going on. Season opener, downtown Atlanta, outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a huge, huge event that I think is going to be an incredible way to start the 2022 season. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you about this. So happy to be able to make the event available to you. And I know it's going to go fast because these things always do. So when you hear me tell you about it tomorrow have that trigger finger ready to go and get it booked for you and those that you love and care about and want to go to the game with because the opportunity for this is extraordinarily limited but we do have a great announcement coming by way of all that tomorrow here in the program so make sure you're part of that can't wait to tell you about it all right speaking of the ducks as i said before let's roll into around the doghouse here and remind you that we have already heard this offseason from Georgia coach Kirby Smart about some of his feelings about playing Oregon in Mercedes-Benz Stadium to open the 2022 season. It's an interesting game for Georgia no matter what, made maybe more interesting by the fact that longtime Georgia assistant Dan Lanning, now the head coach of the Ducks, bringing this team into Atlanta to face UGA. It's the kind of 
you know, interesting sort of cross-sectional matchup that makes college football fun near the beginning of the season. Georgia from the SEC, Oregon, at least for now, from the Pac-12. And you're always kind of interested about what these two teams look like when they get on the same field together at the same time. Well, a couple of weeks ago, when Kirby Smart was a part of the sort of Chick-fil-A charity event taking place there at Lake Oconee, uh, uh, you know, he talked about the game against Oregon and kind of what they're thinking about Oregon right now. This was smart going back to May. We looked at them in the spring and kind of studied those guys. It makes it awkward, you know, the new head coach. You can take the, the you know, the film and the things you're really looking more at who the players are than anything. Um, very familiar with Dan Lanning, very familiar with a lot of guys on the staff. His offensive coordinator was at Auburn and also at FSU. So we looked at those guys, but got a lot of respect for Dan and what he did for our program and know he'll do a really good job uh, there at Oregon. So Smart says, hey, it's a little awkward prepping for Oregon, just given the fact they got a new head coach, a guy that we know well, but also players from kind of all over the place. That's a little awkward, Smart says. Let me tell you something. Whatever seemed awkward about this game before starts to feel even more awkward now on the Oregon side of all of this because of how much potential unrest exists around Oregon's future. This is a program that's been a part of the college football playoff going back 2014, played for a BCS title going back to 2010, had a bunch of NFL players come to the program. This is not a small, insignificant program, but it is one right now who is kind of completely clouded in mystery about what its future looks like in light of the fact that two of its brethren from the Pac-12, USC and UCLA, are on their way to the Big Ten. It leaves Oregon wondering, well, where do we fit into this Pac-12, and will there even be a Pac-12 moving forward? All of that is completely mysterious. And in terms of what might come next, well, right now it sort of seems like anything is a possibility. I mean, can you imagine this? I'm going to show you this quote here from a guy named John Canzano, who is a little bit of a Pac-12 insider, you know, one of those guys that that's out there covering the league on a pretty regular basis online. And according to some sources he has inside the Oregon program, Phil Knight, the big money guy from Nike, when he thinks about what the future is going to be for the Oregon program, uh, is are willing to pull out all stops to make sure that Oregon has a home, including possibly the SEC. Let me read this to you. This is John Canzano, a Pac-12 insider, who says that Phil Knight apparently wants the University of Oregon to be part of the Big Ten Conference or even the SEC. Both options are currently being explored by the Ducks with Knights backing per sources from the University of Oregon. Once again, that's John Canzano, a guy that uh, covers the Pac-12 way out west. Now, imagine this for a moment. When we learned, however long ago it was we learned this, two years ago, whenever it was, that Georgia was going to open the 2022 season against the Oregon Ducks in Atlanta. What if I would told you then that when those two teams were getting ready to play, there would be a rumor swirling. And by the way, that's all this is. And I think Oregon joining the SEC is still a little bit of a long shot, probably more than a little bit of a long shot. But what if I told you that there would be a credible rumor swirling at the time of Georgia's prep for Oregon that Oregon might one day be a conference foe for UGA in the SEC? I think that gives you an idea of just how wild things have gotten and how much things have changed. And you know, we are in that sort of like middle part of summer right now where historically this is the time in which everybody can kind of throw anything they want to out on the table. You throw it against the wall, you see what sticks. And this is like classic time to talk about what if Auburn joined the SEC East or what if you had, you know, relegation in college football or what if you did blah, blah, blah. Like 
anybody can kind of throw out anything right now just to create a conversation and sort of pass the time until we get into the start of the season, which is still a few weeks away. However, where we are in 2022, all those like wild scenarios that people throw out, I mean, none of them seem quite so wild that they're totally unbelievable. Now, do I think that Oregon's going to be in the SEC? I, I, I don't. But am I willing to say it's impossible that they or Washington or some team from way out west could eventually be a part of whatever the SEC's like going forward? I guess it's at least a possibility. I'm going to talk more to Mike Griffith about this in a moment. That it's not obvious to me what the SEC's response will be to the addition of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, but almost anything could at least be conceivable, including a guy way out west who thinks that if Oregon can't get into the Big Ten, they might look towards the SEC. What strange times we live in when it comes to college football and I guess we'll all brace for whatever's on its way next. That is Around the Doghouse, and this is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management today. So we will keep this conversation going and also kind of find out what's next on the horizon for UGA. Let's do it as we do each and every Wednesday with our buddy Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. Glad to have him and all of you with us today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Mike, I'll bring you in on the conversation here. And, of course, good to have Mike Griffith from Dog Nation with us here on the program today. And I don't believe you and I have spoken since the news dropped that UCLA and USC were, were joining the Big Ten. But in light of all of that, is there any, I guess, speculative rumor or anything like that that you would completely reject out of hand in terms of who could be going where and what conference could be doing what it seems like we live in a day and age now where gosh almost anything's possible now a lot of this stuff won't end up coming true but it certainly seems like almost anything's possible just given the weirdness that we've kind of seen take place over the course of the last 12 months isn't that fair yeah i think that's fair um you know especially when you know money's at the root of a lot of it you know i think you know, the, the power lies with ESPN. It's, it's their move, right? It's ESPN's move to decide what it wants to do with its broadcast rights, the value of some of these other programs. Does the SEC want to go up from 16? I mean, that's the, that's the first question. 16 is actually a pretty good number in terms of, you know, being able to play all the schools within four years with different scheduling models and, you know, being able to break it into quadrants or in half. It's a, it's a pretty balanced tournament number. I like that number. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the SEC is going to do, though. So, you know, the SEC is at 16. The Big Ten's at 16. Um, you know, we'll see. Is it is it the ACC's move? And, and one other thing to consider here is that ESPN also owns the rights to the ACC as well as the SEC. I think that provides some flexibility uh, in the event that the SEC would want to or that the ESPN, I should say, would want to bolster the SEC television value package by adding some large television markets such as Miami uh, and North Carolina, specifically out of the ACC. The the Oregon talk it makes sense for the Big Ten, provided that Phil Knight uh, can can write the check that, that'll cover the, the cost. I mean, if we're if we're talking about the value uh, of splitting the pie two more ways to add Oregon and Washington. I think the, I think it'd have to be 100 they'd have to bring 143 million in value. And I think the estimate right now is about half of that of what they would actually bring in terms of value. So, that's where Phil Knight comes in. If he wants to write the check 
to supplement the entry of not just Oregon, but Oregon and Washington, because you, you got to bring both of them for it to make sense. Because you know, on the, especially basketball on the on the swings out west, that's how they do it. Uh, you know, when you play one, you play both the same weekend or a few days apart to, to make the travel as minimal as possible. Is Phil Knight willing to do that? Probably. Uh, but then the Big Ten has to ask themselves, how many teams do they really want? Uh, first and foremost, do they get Notre Dame? Uh, that puts you at 17. If you had two more, that puts you at 19. That's an odd number. They're 20. Um, and I look at the SEC being in play for Notre Dame as well, Brandon. So, um, to your point, uh, to the stuff I've been rattling off, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. All right, so you bring a lot to the table there. Let's try to do this, uh, you know, a little bit of time here. In light of what the SEC might do next, you mentioned some of those ACC schools. Mike, it's not obvious to me, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it's not obvious to me that it is true that adding any of the ACC teams the SEC could conceivably add does make the turnstile spin any better that does raise the revenue enough for it to be considered additive to bring them in like you know clemson's a big program they win a lot of games in the field but clemson's you know a relatively small fan base in comparison to some of the programs we sometimes talk about they share a small state with the university of south carolina like i'm not quite so sure how much of a dowry clemson would bring into this relationship you know same for miami a little bit there as well miami's a very big city but you know miami as a organization is only a portion of that big city you know that's also true for a florida state which is probably not as as large a fan base as some realize like you know, maybe it does make sense for the SEC to add some of those ACC programs, but it's not obvious to me that that's the case. What do you say about that? Well, a couple of things. Um, one, I'd go back to 2014 when the, the four years, my, my four-year hiatus from the SEC when I when I launched into digital media and went back to Michigan to do it, covered the Big Ten. And in 2014, we saw the Big Ten at Rutgers in Maryland. And, and, and I was like everybody else on the side, rolled my eyes. I said, what in the world? Who cares about these, you know, cruddy programs? And, and you probably didn't even bat it. Nobody in the SEC thought a minute of it. Well, suddenly the, the Big Ten television package became more valuable because they added 33% to their television market footprint. Think about that. They made it with two schools going from 12 to 14. They added 33%. We, we should have got a clue in 2012 when the SEC added Missouri instead of a West Virginia, even though West Virginia fit the SEC profile much better. And we looked at Missouri and said, Missouri? Well, they brought St. Louis and Kansas City. And when the Big Ten added Rutgers and Maryland, they brought major, major markets. So, so here's another way to look at it that I really hadn't considered until recently, Brandon. It's not just what that market brings per that fan base. It's all the SEC alums that live in those larger metropolitan areas now that have exposure to their old alumni that leads to more donations. For example, one of the things that the Big Ten talked about when adding UCS, USC, and UCLA is 25,000 Ohio State alumni that live in California that are suddenly engaged. That quickly. They've got the Big Ten network on their television set. That fast. And, and so that's why we look at major markets, not necessarily because we say that UNC, North Carolina, or, and Miami are going to bring that big of a clout versus a Florida State and Clemson, which clearly have better football. Well, I shouldn't say clearly anymore. Clemson does. But they don't have the market. They don't add anything to the footprint. Tallahassee, Florida adds nothing. There was a time when Florida State had the opportunity to come in the SEC. They passed on it. 
They're out of the rotation. Tallahassee means nothing. It's an armpit. It's a small market, and the program's nowhere near where it was. It's an absolute veto. Uh, you're not going to convince the Florida Gators that, that this is best for the league. Miami is completely different, though. We're talking about a different area of the state. We're talking about a different culture. We're not just talking Miami. We're talking Fort Lauderdale. We're, we're you know, we're talking, you know, you know, both. It, it's just an entirely different part, and it's a large, large metropolitan. North Carolina is growing. And the beautiful thing about North Carolina and Miami to me is that it's still within the SEC footprint. We're, we're not doing anything crazy. We're not, like you were saying a minute ago, we're not talking about Oklahoma or, or uh, we're not talking about uh, Oregon and, and Washington, which you, you, they don't even, it's Southeast. There's nothing Southeast about that. They don't fit. Miami and North Carolina do. And I think you made a great point about Clemson. And I know it's going to raise the Clemson fans because they, they so want to be important. And, and they've done a nice job of, of getting pretty important, but even those two national championships now uh, kind of seem like a long time ago um, when they're not able to even, you know, score a touchdown. And not, not that many people did score a touchdown against Georgia, but they, they looked just flat-out awful. Georgia embarrassed them in Charlotte. They're, they're a home away from home, for goodness sake. So uh, this is a big year for Clemson, a uh, bounce-back year. But in terms of market. I think you've got to look at the population in those areas. You know, when, when the SEC added Oklahoma and Texas, that was the number five media market in the nation. Pretty significant. And for the Big Ten to add L.A. in the number two market, when they're already in number one and number three, uh, it's it's really significant. And it does add value to their package. So something else, and I haven't heard anybody else bring this up, but here's one of the things I would have a little bit of concern about if I was the SEC. You know, a lot of people kind of jokingly, in some cases not so much jokingly, say, hey, the two super conferences moving forward, it's not actually, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten. It's actually ESPN and Fox. And let's say that is the case. Obviously, Fox is driving a lot of what the Big Ten is doing. It even owns a portion of the of the Big Ten network. And obviously, the SEC is about to have all of its media rights exclusively under the ESPN umbrella. One of the things that would concern me a little bit is, Mike, I just think that Fox is a stronger network. Like, you know, ESPN has Sunday Night Baseball. Fox has the World Series. ESPN has one NFL game per week. Fox has the entire NFC package all Sunday long. You know, across the board, you kind of look at things. Look at the ratings that the uh, uh, big noon kickoff gets on Fox. ESPN has a hard time, you know, producing anything that manages that. Like, you know, one of the things as a SEC sort of homer guy like myself, who, you know, obviously, you know, cheers for UGA, but just likes the SEC more than the other leagues that are out there. I hope that five, 10 years from now, the SEC is satisfied with the fact that it's hitched its wagon to ESPN, a network that in a lot of ways has just kind of proven to be inferior to what Fox is doing on a pretty regular basis. I hope that Fox, in other words, doesn't prove to be a more powerful ally for the Big Ten than what ESPN is capable of being for the SEC. Well, I understand that concern, and I can see that specifically football. Uh, But one of the things ESPN does that Fox doesn't do uh, is a lot of the other sports. You know, it, it provides a lot of exposure um, you know, to basketball, which is something that the SEC's, you know, desperately been trying to grow, albeit it's not nearly the, the you know, the revenue giant that football is. But let's face it, you know, just sitting down with Mike White the other day, uh, you know, when he played and, and played at Ole Miss, I mean, the SEC was a two or three bed league in basketball. Now it's getting eight or nine teams in the tournament. So I, I think there's something, you know, I, I think we're seeing the growth of college baseball. I know we, we've talked about that uh, recently on the show. You and I discussed that. 
Um, certainly college softball has actually had better ratings than NHL hockey for years, and college baseball for that matter. And, and I would credit ESPN uh, for some of that growth in the Southeastern Conference because they don't just do football. I also think they do more games. I think there's more exposure. I like the different levels of ESPN, ESPN2. I think when you spread the market out more, and so I, I, I would wonder, Brandon, I don't know if there's a way we could do this, but instead of that one big game, who had that one big game that day, I wonder which conference had more viewers as a whole. Not with games, because I can understand why the, you know, Michigan and Ohio State and those noon kickoffs, I mean, I mean, those are large metropolitan areas. You're pulling in the, you're pulling in the, uh, the fringe NFL fan when you're playing in Michigan outside of Detroit and, and Ohio State, which Columbus is a large metropolitan city in Cincinnati and Cleveland. Um, you're pulling in a huge alumni to Chicago's involved in this, you know, with that major game. But, but what do we really know about Minnesota? Iowa. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Indiana football. Do they even exist? Are they out there? Whereas in the SEC, I feel like we see everybody, and I feel like it's like the conference is is the conference is stronger top to bottom, excluding Vanderbilt. So I guess I would just share that perspective on ESPN versus Fox. Uh, let me move on to something different. We're not too far away from SEC media days. And one of the things I'm hopeful of, now listen, I'm fascinated by conference expansion. I don't mind having that conversation in Atlanta coming up in a few days and some of the other issues that are kind of around college sports right now. I don't mind having those conversations either. But man, I'm hopeful that some of the on-field product has its moment in the sun there too. And I guess guess with that in mind, you know, what are you looking forward to asking Kirby Smart about when you get a chance to to see him coming up uh, here at SEC Media Days in Atlanta? What are the big questions that you think are going to surround the dogs as you move towards that uh, that that new season, which we'll get a preview of uh, sooner rather than later? Well, first of all, I'm with you, Brandon. I was I was kind of ticked off last year that the whole Oklahoma Texas thing happened during SEC Media Days and just kind of overshadowed the whole event. I mean, it was it was disappointing. It was selfish. It was, you know, it was like, what are you, what are you doing announcing this now? Man? I mean, we're here to talk about all these kids that are, you know, at Hoover and all these coaches and all these programs. And, you know, we had to listen to the, you know, the Texas Oklahoma stuff, you know, that was, you know, somebody announcing an engagement at a wedding or something. I just, it was just, it was bad etiquette, but it was also like, get ready. This is what you're going to get with Texas and Oklahoma. These, these self-important schools, you know, I can't wait to see them. All right, I guess I should be careful what I wish for looking at recruiting rankings lately. Texas is shooting up for you. I'm like, oh, my God, it's happening. Uh, you know, um, I'm with you. What do I want to ask Kirby Smart? Well, first, I want to know who he's going to bring. I hope he brings Stetson Bennett. I think he should bring Stetson Bennett. I, I think, uh, you know, you talk about far away, hard to believe stories. Who would have believed it? If you'd have told me that, that the guy that, that was uh, transferring out in 2018 was going to come back and win a national title, I told you you were crazy. He was an afterthought. You know, he, he was so bad back then that they didn't let Jake Fromm run because they didn't want him to get hurt in 2019. We don't have anybody behind him, Kirby said. Well, no, you got a future national championship uh, quarterback, as it turned out. So if you want to talk about far-fetched stories, you know, how about our, our very own Stetson Bennett winning the national championship and being the MVP? It's that. So nothing's out of out of uh, out of the conversation. So you mentioned Branson Robinson and your player. You can't. Who knows what that kid's going to do this fall? I mean, I, I think Kenny and Kendall are pretty doggone good, but you know, you know, who's to say this guy couldn't be you know special enough to make an impact? So the questions I want to ask Kirby, though, 
Um, I don't know if I'll answer him, but you know, I want to ask him about the quarterback identity. I'm going to ask him, do you think you've got to do something different? Do you, do you think you've got to throw the ball more? Do you think, do you think that being conservative is costing you right now? Um, that, that would be my one concern for Georgia is, is does Georgia have a quarterback image problem? Not because it's Justin Bennett, but maybe more because of how Kirby chooses to play the third and fourth quarter of games and handing it off 14 times and running it once. So you beat Michigan 34 to 11 and we got to listen to Michigan say how close the game was when, when it could have been 56 to 11. If it's 56 to 11, then maybe Arch Manning wants to come here because he thinks he's got a chance at a Heisman Trophy. But as it stands, the last guy that even was a finalist was 1992. So does Kirby have to address this? Does Kirby have to change his offensive philosophy to recruit effectively and keep George on top? I, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but I think it's a fair question, in light, especially the, the latest recruiting trends. I want to ask him about uh, the linebacking core. You know, JDJ I thought was, was really good last year, but, I, I don't, but then who? Then what? You know, there's a lot of a holes to fill there. At that second level, you lost what? I think, uh, let's see, Tyndall and Dean were both uh, third-round picks, and, and you had a first-round pick in Quay Walker. Um, so I want to ask him about the linebacking court. I want to ask him if Mike, what Mike Bobo's role has been, other than you know, Kirby said he likes to play golf with him. What else does he do? I can't imagine just playing golf around there. And Scott Cochran, I mean, you know, he's, is he back full on staff? What does he think? I saw... Cochran put out something on social media. He was sober for a year. I mean, congratulations. But how does that fit with a football team and how are things going and what's his role now? So I think there's a lot of interesting stories for the dogs, uh, reigning national champs, and, and the matchup with Oregon. You and I, I think neither one of us can get enough of that. I mean, that's a, I just, I wish it was a home and home, but uh, I'll take it. It's in Mercedes Benz Stadium, an uh, awesome place for a game. Looking forward to seeing it. I also think it's really interesting, and we'll finish with this. But the rest of the league, and I talked about this uh, one of the shows last week or within the last few days. You think about like Billy Napier and Brian Kelly being first year coaches coming to this league. When you think about, you know, guys like Josh Heupel or Shane Beamer or Mark Stoops trying to build on some success they've had. You know, when you look at just keep, keeping it strictly to the on field product for a moment. I think this is one of the most intriguing media days I can remember in terms of the very real questions that surround so many coaches. You know, Brian Harson had to fight to keep his job this offseason. Uh, Billy Napier has had to fight recently to keep Florida fans from, you know, basically, you know, uh, uh, you know, riding about the state of, of their recruiting that that there have been a lot of very interesting things going on with a good number of SEC coaches and the just say nothing of like the Saban Jimbo Fisher rivalry that uh, took place a couple of months ago that that we really are as you know drama filled of a media days is almost I can remember that saying a lot given the SEC media days have taken place in the past but there are as many legitimate questions running as many coaches as probably any time I can remember for this league yeah, and you didn't even mention Lane Kiffin. That's tells right. you everything. I mean, if we were that far down, we don't even mention the, the biggest con of them all in the league. Um, you know, I, the Billy Napier thing is fascinating, Brandon. It, it's like watching him get fed to the alligator. I mean, this guy hasn't even coached a game yet, and that fan base is just snapping at him. You know, he writes this letter. I mean, it was if you read the letter, it wasn't like the letter was that outrageous. It was kind of like, hey, here's some real talk. I love you guys. You love me. But here's some real talk about this collective thing. And here's what we need to do. And the Florida area is like, what's this guy talking about? I was like, no, you really, you don't really know who you are, do you, Florida? You really aren't getting a clear reflection in the mirror 
of just where your program is flipped. Like they really don't get it. I think the word is, I think it's the term is self-awareness, Brandon. I, sometimes I like it myself. Currently, Florida football lacks self-awareness. And Napier's coming in here with a very rational approach. And they don't want to hear it. Because rational does not fit that gator swag. That, that, that is what, you know, if it, the truth be known, and I can't even believe I'm upset, but this is an absolute fact. Florida should have hired Lane Kiffin. There is nobody else. That is the guy. They need someone that's just as arrogant, cocky, and smug as that fan base to fit them. Because Napier's down to earth. This ain't happening. It ain't working. If the guy doesn't get off to a good start, it's, the clock's already running on him. And this Brian Harson guy, I, I hope his, I hope he's leasing. I hope, I hope he didn't buy his house because he's done. He's done. I mean, it is, it, it's not even a It's not if it's when. It's, it's just that, you know, that guy, he might not make it to the Georgia game. And to think they were beating Alabama 10 to 0 going into the fourth quarter in their home stadium. So you talk about a tough league and you talk about how quickly things can change. And, and I say this too. I say this about Georgia. I say, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not as comfy and cozy as everybody else. This, because this league is brutal, man. And if you lose a couple guys at the wrong, I've seen it happen. You have to. You lose a couple guys at the wrong spots. You play the wrong team on the hot weekend. I mean, heck, Mississippi State held Georgia to eight yards rushing in, in a football game two years ago. Can you believe? I still can't believe that happened. I watched it. Mississippi State held at home. South Carolina unranked beat a top five Georgia team in San Francisco. Stuff happens real fast. So to your point, this media day is going to be fascinating because this is a dog-eat-dog world. And uh, right now the, the Georgia Bulldogs are on top, and, and Kirby's got a crackerjack staff, an experienced quarterback, and a lot of talent on defense. And it looks like Georgia's holding a, a pretty good hand, but it's somebody that you know has played a little bit of poker, uh, and as you have, I'm sure, you know, you know that, that flop can change things quickly. Mike, it's a fascinating conversation. We look forward to doing a lot more of it with you as we head towards the start of the season. Thanks for being here today, and we'll chat with you again very soon here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. Appreciate it, Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Interesting stuff from Mike Griffith. Of course, SEC Media Days just a few days away right here in the city of Atlanta. And as I said before, I don't mind doing NIL talk. I feel like we've done a lot of that. I don't mind doing, you know, uh, conference expansion talk that's obviously a fascinating topic but i do hope that the on-field product gets its due when sec media days t- takes place i believe that it will but i certainly hope that's the case because i think even for the games are about to be played this season a lot of intrigue around the sec and certainly plenty of that involving the reigning national champion georgia bulldogs there as well let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and boy great time for you to be planning that royal caribbean cruise vacation i'm going to be on the gorgeous wonder of the seas largest cruise ship in the world i'm going to be on that early 2023 i'm super excited about the uh, chance to enjoy that and just take advantage of all the great things that come your way as a part of a royal caribbean cruise vacation i like big things grand things there's nothing more grand than the experience that you get whether it be you know the fun stuff you do you got the ultimate abyss it's like a dry slide you know it's not a water slide it's like a dry slide from like the top of the ship all the way to the 
bottom goes in like 10 stories uh, we were just on a little bit of a trip this past weekend my kids love the water slides can't wait to show them the really cool water slides that are available in the pool deck of you know one of these great royal caribbean cruise ships so many other cool fun things to enjoy there as well there's the flow rider on the back of the ship it's like a wave simulator surf simulator uh that's a fun thing to do i've done that before i'm not great at it but i've done it before you even have great specialty restaurants like obviously some things like chops grill we want that sort of nice date night atmosphere but if you just want something casual relaxed like a sports bar like playmakers uh, sports bar and grill you've got that to be able to enjoy there as well you get the lime and coconut the bar out there on the pool deck there's a view bar uh, on the wonder of the seas which kind of takes advantage of those great ocean views which is really the thing that you want when you're on a royal caribbean cruise vacation the stuff that you can do on board in other words is really second to none so my invitation to you is to find out more about it make the decision with the royal caribbean cruise ship that's right for you and those that you care about want to take on a cruise vacation with you our friends the cruise and vacation authority can help you with this you can find them online at tc AVA.com. That's TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. All right, cruiser on the SEC here for a moment. Let me see if I can lay out all of the stuff that's been out there related to conference expansion over the course of the last couple of days. I'm going to try to do this on, on, you know, off, off the top of my head here, and hopefully I won't miss anything. First of all, we were talking a moment ago with Mike about you know, what the SEC might do to kind of respond to all of this. And I was talking about how it's not obvious to me that anybody the SEC could add is necessarily a value add from a revenue standpoint. That, you know, if you bring in a Clemson or a Florida State or even a Miami, you know, they've got to bring more value with them than they take out. Otherwise, the net payment that goes to each of the league teams would actually go down. Like Texas and Oklahoma do accomplish that, you know, Oklahoma's been good enough in the field. Texas is big enough from a from a brand standpoint, being the flagship university in the state of Texas. They bring a lot with them. So that the overall payment the SEC programs get is going to go up because of Texas and Oklahoma's involvement. Same thing with bringing Los Angeles into the Big Ten via UCLA and USC. It's just not obvious that everybody else necessarily does that. I, I do think that the University of North Carolina is a little bit of an underrated program in this regard it's probably a bigger fan base than you realize some of the programs that are better on the field are maybe smaller from a popularity standpoint than you think uh north carolina you know maybe a little bit bigger than than you might think from a fan base standpoint there's no, when you talk about on-field success and sort of boardroom box office success they're not always the same thing unc may be a little bit bigger than you realize you know some of these other programs clemson florida state for instance they may be a little bit smaller than you realize and it's just sort of important to kind of keep all that in mind when the SEC decides what it wants to do next. But the other thing to kind of point out here is, is you know, Mike a moment ago kind of goes back to 2014 or 2012 when the SEC added Texas A&M and, and, and Missouri. Like Missouri had great value to the SEC in 2012 because it brought TV markets with it, Kansas City and St. Louis. But think about your life in 2022 compared to where it is in, uh, or, or where it was in 2012. In 2012, did you have a cable bundle, traditional cable television? Most of you would probably say yes. In 2022, do you still have that same system in place for watching television? I do. I'm still a cable subscriber. A lot of folks are not, though, and that means that the way in which media rights are discussed are completely different than they used to be. We used to talk about television contracts. We don't talk about TV contracts as much anymore. We talk about media rights deals. The NFL this third this season on Thursday night, those games are going to stream on Amazon. 
Apple has been a negotiator at the table for both the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Non-traditional TV carriers are major players in the T in the sort of media rights negotiation world for all sports, not just college football, but everything else there too. So when the SEC thinks about expansion, I do think it's a little bit different than the conversation in 2012, where A&M brought the Houston TV market and. Uh, you know, Missouri brought the Kansas City and St. Louis TV market. That was a big deal when everybody had cable television. But that sort of geographic footprint probably matters less than the total number of eyeballs that are interested in your product. And if they all live in the same state, that's fine. Or if they live in 25 different states, that's fine there as well. But it's the total number of people you bring to the table. And that's what the SEC's got to consider. And by the way, it's important to note that for every credible rumor around Notre Dame right now, you really haven't heard the SEC and Notre Dame mentioned in the same sentence very much. It certainly seems like the big next domino to fall is, does Notre Dame join the Big Ten? And if they don't do that, well, then maybe it's the ACC or maybe it's remain independent or whatever else. But for now, the most credible rumors seem to be existing around the notion that, that Notre Dame either will join the Big Ten or maybe decide not to or whatever else. And Like if Notre Dame joins the Big Ten at that point in time, then wouldn't you just sort of have to say the Big Ten is bigger than the SEC? Uh, Now, that doesn't mean better. If these two conferences still play each other in the playoff, I would expect that the same results would mostly occur where the SEC teams beat up on Big Ten teams, certainly beat up on Notre Dame. I don't think that the on-field results would change by this. But for people who've kind of gotten used to and very comfortable with the SEC just being the biggest conference – after adding USC and UCLA, uh, and then maybe tacking on a Notre Dame to go along with that, especially given the fact that the average Big Ten school is just sort of bigger than the average SEC school anyway. A little bit bigger states, a little bit bigger towns that that the schools are located in, certainly larger alumni base. There's about a half a million more. There are about several hundred thousand more uh, living you know, alumni from the Big Ten compared to the SEC. It's just a bigger conference in general already. And the expansion moves that they would make in light of the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma would seemingly only ensure that more. Now, does it matter that it's bigger? I, I don't know. There's I, I, Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But it would certainly seem like there'd be nothing the SEC could do to counter the size that the a Big Ten would have acquired if it brings in a USC, to a certain extent UCLA, and definitely a Notre Dame, if that ends up being the case. How about the other leagues for a moment? There's been some chatter that the – Pac-12 teams that still have some value, like Oregon, which we mentioned a moment ago, Washington, teams like that, you know, they're in consideration to maybe make a move towards the Big 12. That's something that uh, Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports has, has reported on. Maybe that's true. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me because, you know, financially, I'm not quite so sure the Big 12 is in a better position right now than the Pac-12 would be. You know, the idea that you'd move from this thing to that thing, does that really help you all that much? I'm not quite so sure it does. The other report that's been out there, and I forget who had this one first, uh, I apologize for not giving proper credit, but the notion that the ACC and the Pac-12, I don't want to use the word alliance here because that's kind of a you know a loaded phrase going back to the short-lived alliance that was supposed to exist to combat the SEC before, but that the Pac-12 and the ACC might form some sort of loosely tied union with each other around maybe scheduling some non-conference games with each other, but also eventually playing the the ACC champion, playing the Pac-12 champion in Las Vegas as a way of maybe adding value to 
to to their potential rights deal for an ESPN to want to maybe pony up more money. Now, listen, I don't know how the ACC could get this because the ACC's got a contract in place with ESPN that's supposed to last for quite some time. The Pac-12 is due to renegotiate here sometime soon. Maybe, uh, and actually, those negotiations have started. Maybe some sort of tie-in with the ACC helps them there a little bit, but. For the, for the most part, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, who've kind of lost a lot of their flagship members or at least you know, run the risk of losing their flagship members, like what you do with sort of the also-ran programs that are left, it's not an easy answer necessarily. And if you're the SEC trying to figure out how to have a response, what the Big 10 has already done, what it might do if it adds Notre Dame – it's also not obvious what that would necessarily be either if it is important to keep keep pace from a from a size perspective but very clearly we'll be watching all of that as it plays out let's roll through some recruiting news here for a moment as recruiters on the sec courtesy of royal caribbean malik benson junior college wide receiver you knew was announcing yesterday and he makes his commitment to the alabama crimson tide choosing the crimson tide over uga there really been very little chatter related to benson and george in the lead up to this announcement no surprise but wanted to put a punctuation mark on the story we had covered it before and he chose alabama and the smart folks in the industry will say as expected and that's indeed the way this kind of went down we have a top six now in place for Jaden wayne the five-star edge rusher who's from the state of washington who recently announced that he's going to play his senior year at img academy uh wayne and george have had a good relationship and george has obviously had a pipeline to img some folks wondering if being there in Bradenton for a senior year makes it easier for Georgia when it comes to this recruitment you know I don't know how much that's going to matter given the fact that he's about to make his announcement that comes up on July 9th at noon and Wayne's going to choose between Bama Oregon Georgia LSU uh, Michigan State and Miami so Georgia one of those six finalists and we'll find out if uh, that is indeed the case that uh that georgia is in good shape here with Jaden wayne who's going to play a senior year in img academy make a college decision prior to that coming up on saturday july 9th so we're not too far away from learning about a big five-star edge rusher for the class of 2023 and speaking of lists of finalists that's what uh five-star running back richard young has also provided there as well young took a visit to georgia back during the month of june um a reporter says from uh, alex martin that young's down to alabama georgia and oregon those are his top three uh instagram story for young kind of putting that out there but down there on that there's been some internet chatter for a good while there that young had kind of a close relationship with alabama georgia in terms of a top running back priorities probably thinking about justice haynes there on that but young has taken that visit to uga during the month of june and including the dogs here among his top three so we'll give that to you there too then finally there's this no better move for a relatively new coach in an sec program to do to kind of go back and embrace the past even if it's just the recent past that's typically a good move for coaches and in the sort of end of the jeremy pruitt era there was this weird thing where there at neyland stadium they took down a kind of a sign that had been in place at neyland Stadium for as long as i can remember i'm not a tennessee fan but even i knew this existed uh it's that like block letter vol sign where like each of the letters has its own kind of square it's on you know one of the ends there of uh, neyland stadium it had been taken down and replaced with like this big mural of a bunch of things but the original sign is now uh kind of back up where you get the v-o-l-s the vols there back at neyland stadium so a little bit of an embrace of the past by josh heupel that's typically a pretty good thing to do 
uh, and uh, obviously Tennessee fans seem to be responding pretty well to that. So we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, if you're like me, you don't like Vol signs very much, but let me tell you something I do like, and I'm guessing you'd like it there as well. I'm talking about a nice ice cold can of the Finnish long drink. That's right. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail that comes in a can. It may look like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail, and right now it's hot outside. So a good cold beverage tastes really, really good, and nothing tastes better to me than a Finnish long drink, whether it's the cranberry, which pretty much everybody in my neighborhood likes, the traditional in the blue can. I kind of like that. I like the way the grapefruit and the gin kit kind of go together. That's what the uh, sort of the traditional version of the finished long drink has for you. There's the long drink strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume. There's long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. I certainly could use that as we're getting ready for the start of the season. Or maybe you want to try them all. The eight-can variety pack gives you a chance to do that because you get two cans of each of the four different finished long drink varieties. So if you go to the website, thelongdrink.com, you can find out where you can pick up some today, whether it be a beverage store or a bar, maybe a restaurant near you. I see it a lot of golf courses. A lot of golf courses kind of have finished long drink down the beverage cart, things like that. And it's always kind of a cool thing to enjoy as you're playing around golf there as well. So check out the long drink today. For some of you, you've already made this a big part of your summer routine already. For others of you, you may be trying it for the first time, but my encouragement to you is to enjoy it because it goes great with summer, hot weather, cold drinks, nothing better than that. The finished long drink for sure. So check out the, check them out online at thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that. All right, we'll wrap up today with a golden shoe. We're kind of still in the aftermath of the 4th of July, and it seems like... Oh boy, a lot of these uh, fireworks celebrations don't quite go as planned, including this one. I'll show you if you're watching on video and if you're listening to radio podcasts, going to describe it for you. So like the fireworks, you know, you start setting them off and listen, when you light that thing and everybody's kind of gathered around, like who sort of really knows how all that's going to go? All of a sudden, this firework just starts shooting in every direction, shooting at kids, shooting at people sitting around the picnic table, explosion with the vehicle. I mean... Can you believe that? Y'all, be careful with these fireworks, man. And listen, I hate to sound like, you know, Mary and the librarian here, but you gotta, you got to be careful with, with some of that kind of stuff. This family learned that the hard way. We'll make that the golden shoe winner for today. And remind you, Gator Hater Updater, 4,927 days from right now. Uh, that, actually, that's how long it's been since Florida's won a national championship. Long title drop for those Gators, but a Gatorator countdown. About 115 days from right now. Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida once again. That's good news and a great way to close things out today. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We will see you back here again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here at Twitter, Dog Nation Daily, or in the comment section there, dognation.com trying to get back to the podcast cool down swing of things of course your great comments help us do that so we'd love to read your voice here have your comment uh expressed here as a part of this portion of the show so go ahead and share those with us one more time at dog nation daily or at dognation.com for more on that saw a red dog one uh one of our commenters mentioned about nicar the uh, georgia commit 2024 wide receiver says and just like that we got a, our version of a young jameson williams he says wow welcome to the family and obviously that speaks to some of the excitement that exists around car out there i would invite you to check out the story that jeff wrote about nicar there as well what his uh, high school coach at Calca county said uh some of the ways in which you know car has been kind of moving in georgia's direction for quite some time there is a lot to like about this pledge and of course anytime you're talking about you know more than a year out that gives you plenty of room for 
you know, something like this to move in a different direction. But there's also reason to believe that that Carr was certainly emphatic with his reasons for choosing Georgia when he did late last night. And certainly from a player profile standpoint, this is the kind of receiver that Georgia has wanted for quite some time. Certainly fans themselves have wanted for quite some time. And it sounds like he brings a lot to the table. So read more about that at dognation.com. It was fun talking with you about that on our show today. And so we'll look forward to having more Georgia football conversations with you in the days ahead. Thanks for being here on our R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Y'all check out R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. It's been very hot the last few days, very humid. So air conditioning's working overdrive. If you're worried about yours, get some peace of mind by getting it tuned back up to factory fresh specs by going to R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. We'll see you tomorrow for the podcast Cooldown after Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. We will look forward to talking to you then.